Cougs house. All right, we got a fun, exciting game against Cincinnati this weekend. It's a rematch, so we got to talk about how the first one went and what to expect that will change some in the second matchup. A lot of basketball to get to in preparation for Saturday's big game, so let's get to it. You are Locked On Cougs, your daily podcast on the Houston Cougars, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to Locked on Cougs, the other podcast about your Houston Cougars. I'm your host, Houston-born teacher and coach Parker Andrews. Hit to break down all things Cougs. If you're a U of H fan, just say hey, you can stop by. Please be sure to subscribe down below. That way you can get us in your news feed each and every day. We appreciate you making Locked on Cougs your first listen of the day. Thank you so much for tuning into the YouTube channel. Again, we're up to like 485 on the subscriber count. Remember, at 500, Sparkle is giving away a little bit of gift package to some fans. So make sure you... A, hit subscribe so we get there, and B, uh, comment and like, up thumbs up, all those kinds of things for the video. If you can't think of anything after the Cincinnati game or after this preview of the Cincinnati game, and you're like, huh, what am I going to comment? Tell us, if you go to a diner, are you a sweet food person or a savory food person? Now, in this preview of a second game against Cincinnati, because it went so well against UCF, we're going to do kind of the same format. The first segment is going to be a recap of how the first game went. The second segment is going to be look at like what could go different. And then that third segment is going to kind of look at what Cincinnati season has been like. It's not been quite as turbulent as UCF's has been as we go through these, these rematches. However, um, there are some interesting things to take away as we do it. Now, in this first segment, we're going to look at what happened in the first game. And I think a lot of people saw the first game as the Jairus Walker coming out party as far as scoring. Now, Jairus Walker, no cap. Top 10 pick in the NBA draft this spring. I'm or summer. I'm telling you right now, he's going to be one of the 10 best players in the world coming out at age 19. Um, he's that kind of a guy. But we saw his scoring for the first time in full display in this game. He's more of a short roll playmaker in the Virginia game, but his scoring was on showcase. Uh, Lakin, their big uh, big fella uh, at Cincinnati, was you know kind of a more traditional center. Got the matchup for Cincinnati. Did not go well for the Bearcats. Um more or less, they ran a lot of pick-and-pop and, and handoff-type action to get Walker involved out at the perimeter, and Lakin looked at it like a fish out of water. Um, even in crashing the glass from that far away, Jarris kind of had his way with the big fella. Um, what I thought was interesting, too, in looking at this was not just that Jarris had his own way in scoring, um, but the impact was that everyone else also got to feast a little bit because it pulled the big 6'10", 6'11", guy away from the basket for Cincinnati. And that's when you see like Jawan uh, Roberts getting his baskets. That's when you see Tremont Mark getting his baskets because they can get in the lane a lot easier without having to worry about that. Um, Jarris put on a show and it was really, really pretty to watch. And what was interesting to see his defense intensify as you saw his offense dial up. Um, I think it's really interesting, no cap, to watch these guys go on and on and on about like, defense and culture and this and that, but Jairus is still a 19 year old kid, right? He's still going to get more invested in the defense. The more you get him involved in the offense, that's why he had to, for lack of a better phrase, pick six style dunks where he took off from, you know, one steal at half court for a two handed jam. uh, And then he had one where he had a more of a, like a fight for a jump ball in mid court 
for uh, finish through defenders uh, on the, uh, the other dunk. Um, big, big finishes across the board for Jairus. And again, at the end of the day, we have that top 10 type of lottery pick. Cincinnati's good and frankly could push for a bid in the tournament if they had a good American. And then the big tournament, they have a good American Athletic Conference tournament. But at the end of the day, they're, they're still not, they don't have anyone like Jairus. They're not going to have anyone like Jairus. They're just not. Now, I'd be remiss if I didn't point out that the other key factor here was uh, Houston gets up by 20 at one point in the second half of this basketball game, and it looks like they're about to blow the doors off. And frankly, in remembering how some games had gone to that point, it felt like Houston should go to a 30-type point lead, and they didn't. Um, Frankly, in Cincinnati, right? Again, they were in the uh, fifth-third, or I think that's what it is, five-third arena, right there on campus and the the Bearcats stormed back there was a blackout type game they wore black jerseys at home it was really really like a lot of energy very quickly and suddenly the lead shrunk down to like seven and then it became the Marcus Sasser show but not the traditional Marcus Sasser show that you would think no cap it was much more of the Marcus Sasser show that involved uh his defense and his defense getting up in to guys like uh, David Julius getting into Micah Adams Woods getting into Landers Nolly. He switched off a bunch of guys. He just kind of went after wherever he felt like he had to shut down the perimeter. Uh, obviously, it's not that there was like a lack of communication or anything. I don't mean like that. It was interesting that he got into, he ended up getting matched up on several different players and forced David Julius into four turnovers. Um, the, the biggest difference in this game, if you're looking at it, is not rebounding. Houston got out rebounded. It's not shooting threes. The three-point shooting was more or less even. Uh, Cincinnati shot 35%. Houston shot almost 38%. uh, And if anything, Houston shot less of them. The difference were the turnovers. Houston had just five, took great care of the basketball in a really impressive uh, effort and, again, a hostile environment. Cincinnati had 16. Uh, Houston forced them to turn it over 16 times. And, frankly, being in the teens for turnovers has kind of been the Achilles heel for Cincinnati all season long. And I, I, I just feel like if that's a trend that continues, we'll get into the preview segment in a second, but if that's a trend that continues. Houston should have a pretty easy path to victory in this one. Again, um, as a team, I also think it's worth pointing out that like Houston had four blocks and while blocks are not necessarily turnovers, they're fairly similar in the impact that takes away the basket, but also the four blocks led to like, being scared at the rim for Cincinnati. Remember there was like a play where uh, it wasn't, it wasn't Lakin. It was another guy. It might've been uh Nolly. It, it was another one there forwards, but he catched the ball in the lane and he feels Tremont Mark behind him. Right. He feels Tremont Mark barreling down his back and he like pump fakes a, what would have been wide open dunk because he's worried about how close Tremont Mark is with the ultimate irony being that by the time he actually went up for the dunk after the pump fake, Tremont Mark was close enough to block the shot, right? And no cap that uh, Tremont Mark is an excellent defender, but not the kind of defender that I think is like a rim protector. That's just the impact of how much rim protection Houston has and the impact of their defensive intensity kind of changing the calculus for uh, Cincinnati in shooting the basketball. The game did feel kind of helter-skelter early. Um, No cap, there was a moment in the first part of the first half where I kind of felt like, Houston might let it slip to this point of the season. Um, Houston had not lost a game in the American Athletic Conference. It was uh, 
fairly early in that run, I guess, but it didn't feel like they were going to lose one for a while. And then they get to this game and it's kind of back and forth. Like Cincinnati scores the first five points. The crowd's electric. The crowd goes crazy. And suddenly uh, takes a couple of Marcus Sasser threes to bring Houston back to six, five. And then they kind of go on their run. And then he just goes to their run. It goes back and forth, back and forth. And so it was that element in the first part of the game where it was a game of runs because basketball is one. But I was like kind of worried about like, could Houston ever pull away and get comfortable in Cincinnati? And then the second half, Houston extended out to 20 points and it was 52 to 32. And I was kind of like, all right, that's probably the ball game. And then it shrunk down to, I believe it was 55 to 42. It very quickly shrunk down to 13 and they very quickly shrunk down to single digits. And I was like, oh my God, they're going to blow this. They're going to blow this. Um, not to say that Samson's teams have traditionally blown this. But I've just got this pessimistic gut feeling like that was what was about to happen. Um, and then... Sasser's defense, as I mentioned earlier, turned it on and they didn't. But that back and forth atmosphere, I think, means that this like kind of comfortable looking 13 point win where Houston was up by 20 doesn't actually give the like this was felt like a closer game. Cincinnati is a good basketball team and they need to be very, very well prepared on uh, Saturday for this contest. Now, with that said, I do have to talk about you being prepared for your contest and you should prepare at FanDuel. We're really, really excited about FanDuel. FanDuel is our newest partner here at Locked On. Um, so let, let me tell you about what they're doing here. Uh, at FanDuel, you can go to FanDuel.com slash Locked On and get $150 in free bets guaranteed when you place your first $5 bet. That's $5 in $150 to play with, right? That's a lot of fun for you. FanDuel has all your favorite bets from the money line to point spreads to player props and more. So you can even combine your bets to get a bigger payout with the same game parlay options they have. Really, really cool stuff to do. Um, I'm going to tell you what I would do. I guess I can't technically tell you what I am going to do, <laughs> but i tell you what I would do. Um, right now, as you look at these NFL playoff games, they've got the Niners and Eagles as a two and a half point Eagles favorite. I'm taking the Eagles there. Again, Brock Purdy, I think eventually like the Cinderella slipper, the Cinderella slipper breaks off, or just at some point someone's gonna make him look like seven on a quarterback. Um, I also think the other game, the Chiefs Bengals, the Chiefs are favored by one and a half points. Um, the over under in that game set at 48. I'm thinking that's a high scoring game, so I'm definitely thinking the over 48 48. I would not be that surprised. I'd be a little surprised, but not that surprised if one single team got close to 48 right um and i'm gonna take the chiefs in that one because until proven wrong i'm gonna see patrick holmes as michael jordan he's practicing i think this ankle sprain looks like it might not be as bad as initially thought or at least they're not letting on that it was and so that's what i'm taking there but you're here for a college hoop show so it also should probably tell you that if you're a Cougs fan you should look at their march madness and finals four odds uh houston is plus 650 to win the whole thing and plus 130 to get to the final four I'm not telling you how to place your bets. I totally get the emotional hedge in betting against Houston. That way you're happy either way. But what I will say is if you're going to go at plus 130 to get to the final four, you should go ahead and put some money down on Houston winning it at plus 650 because we know that the games are happening at NRG Stadium just down the road, and thus it's going to be home games in the final four. So if you're going to bet on Houston to get there, you might as well also double down and figure out some parlay way to get Houston to win the whole thing as well. That's my recommendation. My other recommendation is you do it at FanDuel.com and use code LOCKEDON to get $150 in free bets. Do it at, locked on dot, at FanDuel.com slash LOCKEDON. 
All right. My, in the second segment, what I want to do a little bit is look at um, some stretches of the game where Cincinnati in the first game cut the lead down. And I worry they found some secret sauce. And I worry they found some secret sauce because both teams have the scouting report now and both teams are prepared for what the other team looks like. Like, sure, you see Jairus Walker walking the first court on the court for the first time ever and it completely blows your mind. But the second time, you kind of know what he looks like, what he does, and those kinds of things. Um, Houston took total advantage of this giant kid named Lakin um, in the first matchup. I should probably also tell you his first name, and his first name is Victor Lakin. Uh, I had to double-check that to be sure. But they totally took advantage of Victor Lakin in the first matchup when he was defending because he couldn't stick with either Juwan Roberts or Jairus Walker from a perimeter perspective. And that's kind of the only guy they had that could muscle with Roberts or Walker, right? Um, especially with Walker. Oh, Jairus Walker's a giant, right? Um, but what they went to down the stretch to kind of cut into that lead and kind of chip away when they did was finding him in long rolls. So you think about pick and short roll where we were hitting Jairus Walker to be a creator. There's no creating in what Victor was doing. Victor rolls hard to the basket and posts up on the block and says, feed me if you're going to slip this if he doesn't slip it very well but if you're going to try and ride the slip or whatever turns into a really easy seal for the big fella you can't switch it because it gets your guard on the big guy and bluntly it's kind of thing where he only had i guess 16 points that was the second most on their team in this contest the first contest that is but the bulk of his points come down the stretch in the second in like what would be the fourth quarter the second half the second half and if I'm Cincinnati, I'm probably coming out the gates ready to do that from the jump. And if I'm Houston, that's the part of the game that worries me because you're going to anticipate that it's, it goes back and forth early with some energy stuff. You're at home this time. You, you ought to ride out the energy. Sass would be feeling it, I'm sure, right? But you can't really grow between now and Saturday. And that's the only way I can think of how to like match up size-wise with Victor Lakin is – for you know, matching up with weight and like in the same weight class, Jairus does a great job, but he gives up a few inches, right? And that's Victor going on the top of those little hook shots and stuff like that. Um, I thought it was interesting too that you know Houston played it kind of close and played with their food a little bit and just had this huge run at the start of the second half. If I'm coaching Cincinnati, I'm probably telling them like, hey, except for that first four minutes of the half, we had these guys. And you got to hope that as young as Houston is, there's no, we already beat these guys once. What is the big deal? Because there was, you know, a lot of that basketball game that Cincinnati can feel like they won four minute chunks of. Um, all that said, uh, I also would point out that if I'm, you know, being more reasonable, the first four minutes, second half are because it sounds like Samson chewed them out at halftime for the lack of effort on some things defensively, which led to forcing several turnovers to start the second half, right? Like that's that's how that went. And so realistically, you could have Samson do the exact same thing to start the game, and then suddenly you come out the gate strong. We've seen Houston had trouble at starts of games, right? Houston has kind of, you know, uh, hit snooze or so, uh, just like sleptwalk through the first portion of games thus far. And I, you know, in the American Athletic Conference, can they get away with that? Sure. Is playing an American Athletic Conference opponent probably part of that? I kind of feel like it is after watching them play the Alabamas and Oregons and St. Mary's and Virginias of the world in the non-conference portion of the season. I kind of feel like that does play a role. But 
what you'd hate to have happen is to roll into Cincinnati on a day where they're hot shooting the ball or you're in foul trouble or whatever, and suddenly you've got uh, a game on your hands because you didn't come out the gate swinging. Um, Cincinnati is probably going to try and take advantage of that. That's been a trend for Houston thus far. Um, the other thing I'll say is that if you're Cincinnati, you're telling yourself you beat Houston in a rebounding battle. That's a win in and of itself. You just got to find ways to turn those into points. Um, Houston needs to find ways to get bodies on bodies, even when they're smaller at a couple of positions, a couple of key positions, because they can't afford to lose rebounding battles. Um, that That's a hard formula to win basketball games with. They won the turnover margin by so much in the first game that it didn't come to matter in that one. But if that's more like a 7 to 12 uh, turnover difference instead of 5 to 16, the rebounds matter very quickly, and I I think that that's got to be a coaching point for sure. Um, since that game, Houston has continued to be 6-0 on the road, uh, or this season, they are 6-0 on the road. On the season, they're 11-2 at home. And that's really, really weird because Fertitta is rocking. And part of that is they played a fairly difficult home non-conference schedule, right? I mean, Alabama coming to town, Alabama's a top three team right now, right? And that's a tough one. And frankly, it's worth pointing out that for a chunk of that game, Houston was up by double digits. Um, kind of let it slip away. But you wonder if there's almost too much comfort in playing at home or something like that, something psychological like that. Like what is happening for Houston to be 11 and two at home and six, no on the road. You know, can we just wear road uniforms? Like wear the road warmups, what sleep in a hotel the night before what's it going to take to kind of flip this back in Houston's direction. I'm not sure, but what I am sure of is that all of those things feel very fluky for anything of, of that way to work. Like even if for uh, Victor Lakin to have, you know, a 28 point night or something, would feel fluky. He's gotten 20 a couple times, but not many, right? Um, for the rebounding battle to swing Cincinnati's way twice feels kind of fluky, especially if like the turnover margin shrinks somehow because Cincinnati does like to turn the ball over some. That would feel kind of fluky. Um, for Houston to come out flat on a Saturday game in Fertitta, big-time recruiting weekend for all the other sports, um, that would feel a little off-putting as well. I think that Houston should be ready to play. Um, worth pointing as far as getting ready to play goes, uh, reporting from practice on Thursday, looks like after uh, traveling back from a game in Florida on Wednesday night, um, Thursday was more or less get some shots up and get off your feet for the guys that are in the real rotation um, and were in the rotation in Orlando. And I have to say, like, that's probably smart. They play again Saturday in an early afternoon game, and that's just not a whole lot of time between getting off the plane from Florida and getting on the hardwood versus Cincinnati. Um, so Friday, I'm sure will be a lot more game prep scouting and film work and a lot of you know individual skill work for the guys that need it and want it. But I, I would imagine that that's the kind of game where um, you haven't had a full-speed practice in between. That could hurt Houston. It could help Houston, right? Um, if you're Cincinnati – Make sure I got my date right here. Their most recent game was like last week, right? They've got a lot of time to repair. They got a lot of time to think about this, right? They played Memphis last week in a very close loss, uh, 68-75. And in our third segment, we're going to go through each game that Cincinnati has played since the Houston game and kind of how those have gone and how Houston can make sure they don't happen to us. So like I mentioned, um, Cincinnati, since playing Houston, has played East Carolina. They won big. SMU, they won close. 
Uh, South Florida, they won, I'd say big. Uh, and then Memphis, they lost close. Now, across the board there, you know, that's a three and one record in the American Athletic Conference. And coming into Houston, they were, what is that, uh, two and one as well. So, like, they're still sitting fairly high in the rankings or in the American Athletic Conference standings. However, I think that there's something to take away from how uh, Cincinnati was able to play in these games. And it's interesting to me because going to Victor Lakin, the thing that worked in the second half against Houston was not actually the way they did it against these other teams. They blew out ECU, right? East Carolina did not stand a chance. Part of that blowout was not Victor Lakin, who had just eight points, but that they were able to get easy and open threes on driving kicks. They shot over 50% from beyond the three-point line. If they shoot over 50% from beyond the three-point line on Saturday, Samson will be bald on Sunday from pulling his own hair out. There's just no way that that Samson stands for that. That's not the kind of team Houston is under Samson. It's not the kind of team Samson runs. Um, That said, if they do get hot and shoot, say, 41% from three, Houston could be in trouble. Um, There's been moments this season where Houston has not shot the ball well, and at the end of the day, like, Shooters make shots, right? Uh, it's hard to beat a tough shot maker, and threes count more than twos, and that can be really, really difficult. So something to watch out for, right? I would say the key there is can you contest without fouling? We've talked to Ignazian before you and I have about how Samson coaches that. Um, you know, he teaches to run almost over, almost looks like bad defense if you don't know what they're doing, where you close out and jump past, like hand over, body around, and just like kind of distract. Um, and then plant and get back in front for blocking out. It's like a little thing they teach, right? Um, which is why he gets so frustrated when his guys foul jump shooters. Uh, I've gotten to where I kind of point that out on Twitter whenever it happens now. Um, but it is interesting to see that like when they shoot that hot from three, Cincinnati's really, really hard to beat. Um, they beat SMU by two, but SMU's big, and they got real bigs in SMU, right? Odigi, um, he held Lakin to just six points. Um, however, Adams was and Nolly had uh, 16 apiece. And in that game, while Odigi and uh, Victor Lakin had this like back and forth, back and forth kind of battle for scoring, uh, they both kind of took themselves out of it. And three guys from Cincinnati had over 10 rebounds, a big, big rebounding advantage for Cincinnati against SMU. Um, and that is a thing I think I'd be concerned about as Houston, right? Because they've also out-rebounded Houston. Then now they're winning a close game against SMU, without shooting the ball particularly well or scoring the ball particularly well, but because they out-rebound SMU by such a dramatic fashion, I don't know. Like That's that's troublesome. Um, South Florida, we saw South Florida up close and personal, obviously, and they kind of gave Houston some pause. Houston won the game, but it was closer than it should have been because uh, Tashiwa was a dominant big fella inside. He held Victor Lake into six points. He's that kind of big. However... Julius and Nolly had 21 apiece at the perimeter level, right? They shot 40% from threes in that game, and South Florida missed a lot of free throws. I'll repeat that. Cincinnati shot 40% from three that game, and USF missed a lot of free throws. That is the kind of thing that could beat Houston, right? Cincinnati getting hot from three, and Houston shooting the free throws poorly. Houston on the season before their recent slump against Temple, uh, I guess that was sparked by the Temple game, which we did like 72% from the free throw line. Uh, it was like 71 and change, right? And the Temple game dropped it, so I think now they're closer to 70% on the season. Um, and if they shoot 70%, that's not the end of the world. It's that they have another game where they shoot 52% like that against Temple, that suddenly 
becomes a real big problem. And if Houston were to do that, like USF did, you know, USF lost by 16. Houston is not USF defensively. I don't think they give up 85 points uh, to Cincinnati. But if they're shooting hot, they might give up 70, right? Like suddenly it's like, oh, that's not great, right? Um, the most fun game to me to watch um, was watching them play Memphis. Um, not because Cincinnati lost. I frankly would have rather watched Cincinnati beat Memphis, but because um, athletically it was just a much more like up and down flowy kind of game. Um, USF got kind of ugly and mucky and, and all that kind of stuff, right? As a fan with no rooting interest, I'd like them both to lose. You know, I, it was a little ugly. Um, Memphis was a little more free-flowing, but in all that flowing, I don't know if they couldn't keep up with the speed or what uh, Coach would say about it, or maybe Penny Hardaway's club is just better, but Cincinnati shot 25% from three and just 66% from the free-throw line. Had they shot their season averages with the same exact shots, because I'm, I'm just going on field goal percentage, just basic raw stats, but they win the game. Right, like it's that simple. It's that they didn't make the shots. Now, credit to Memphis, they forced, I guess, rush shots, tired shots, pressured shots, whatever. I don't know how you do it the free throws, but you feel me, right? Um, but in that game, which is the game immediately preceding our game, and it was about a week ago, Victor Lakin had a great game, twenty-two and ten on a very efficient night shooting the ball. He was a dominant force on defense, while well, deterring a lot of shots in and around the basket. Now, I think we can pull him away from the basket, like I said, in the first and second segments. But he he could get 20. And I would be worried about that because they kind of saw that happen in the latter part of the second half. And clearly, against Memphis, they went back to it. And, um, you know, Landis Nolly had 18 points. Julius had 15 points. Like They had other guys contribute. And schematically... They run fairly simple stuff to make sure they, they weave guys open for catch-and-shoot threes on driving kicks. Um, but if they're driving and dropping it off or driving, kicking, and entering to Lakin, suddenly I do get a little worried about them slowing the game down and ugly it up, mucking it up that way. Now, ways to combat that, because that's what I guess they may end up doing, it would be first, I would say, let's see what Reggie Cheney looks like because he did practice, it looks like, on Thursday um, and let's see what uh, Javier Francis looks like because he's crazy long. And frankly, let's put the two of them and Roberts and Walker all on him for various times and kind of say, hey, they each got five fouls. Let's just make sure at least two of you don't get all the way to five. And let's just rough him up a little. Like, and not like and with any intention of hurting, but just make him more tired, wear him out physically over the course of the basketball game um, because athletically he had trouble keeping up with Jairus in the first game. And that kind of makes me think that they can also out-athlete him in defending him, even if it involves a little bit of physicality. Not, and again, not in a malicious way, just in a well, you know, welcome to Houston kind of way. Um, the other thing I have to say here is that you'll probably need some points from your own backcourt because a lot of scoring, even when Victor Lakin has his good nights, a lot of scoring for Cincinnati comes from their uh, guards and small forwards not necessarily more traditional power forwards, but like their perimeter guys. And Houston's going to need that 14-15 from Sasser at least. Houston's going to need that 10-15 to from Jamal Shedd. Houston's going to need some points on the bench from either Emmanuel Sharp or Terrence Arsenault, or maybe both, right? Houston's going to need those kinds of things. And as I watch this game, I'm looking for 
where do those come from? I, I'm fairly confident what I'm going to get from Sass, and I'm fairly confident I'm going to get from Shed. And I hope to see Tremont Mark get back to that 14, 15 spot. He's been down like 8, 10, a couple games in a row. The matchup shift, right? Um, for what it's worth, against Cincinnati, he had a very good game scoring the basketball, so maybe it's his turn again, right? You can't change who you got. Um, but... I'm, I'm looking for what comes next and who the guy to come in is. Um, I'm looking forward to talking a lot about it. You can talk to me all about it on Saturday at Painsworth 512 on Twitter, Instagram, uh, Be Real, TikTok, all your social media handles. One quick note on the game. I typically do do a game thread of my, my thoughts uh, in tweets, so like half serious thoughts throughout the game. Um, on Saturday, I will be coaching at the start of the game, and so I will start it from the start but that will be after you've probably started it live um so if my game thread on twitter looks late it's probably because it is um but i'll be game threading and talking about the game on saturday um with that said i'm looking forward to watching this one because i think this is a fun program and this is another matchup where both teams are heading into the big 12 next season so it's you know we're both along for the ride they're along for our ride i guess you should say in that sense um again all those things at painsworth 512 have you talk all things cougs rockets Astros, Texans, sneakers, hip hop, whatever you want. Also, if you're looking for a second listen of the day, I'm going to recommend Locked On College Basketball. Andy and Isaac do a great job. On Wednesday's episode, Andy talked to a uh, familiar face to you if you've been tuning into the show, Zach Farmer. We had Zach Farmer on to preview the St. Mary's matchup. Uh, They had him on to talk about being in the West Coast Conference as Gonzaga and uh, St. Mary's are and kind of the uphill climb to make the tournament. I think it's worth pointing out, they had a pretty good argument to say that St. Mary's may win that conference this season, and that'd be another conference champion that Houston beat this season. So go check it out, hear the argument, and then gloat about beating a potential conference champion. Thank you all so much for tuning in to Locked on Cougs today. Locked on Cougs is a proud member of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Go Cougs!